Hi, everybody. This is Liz Nord, and you're listening to the No Film School podcast. Director Deborah Granick's films are known for their visceral intimacy and gravitating performances, particularly from young talent. The most well-known example is her direction of Jennifer Lawrence's breakout role in Winter's Bone, which was nominated for an Oscar for Best Picture in 2011. Another thing Granick's films have in common is that they seem made with exceptional love for both the complexity of her characters and the details of their environments. In her latest, Leave No Trace, which premiered at Sundance earlier this year and is now hitting theaters, her casting is spot on once again, with a new young actress, Thomasin McKenzie, and actor Ben Foster of Hell or High Water fame. These two carry almost the entire narrative on their own, with minimal dialogue, as a father and daughter who live off the grid in the moody Oregon woods, and whose peaceful but rogue existence is threatened when authorities try to fit them inside the box of mainstream society. In today's episode, I learned the secret behind the organic feeling of her films. Fostering an environment throughout production where every cast and crew member has a willingness to be flexible and adaptive to changes in circumstance. In this conversation with Granick and producers Anne Rosalini, who co-wrote the Leave No Trace script and has worked on every one of Granick's films, and Anne Harrison, we talk about how they cultivate this quality among their collaborators, the steps they had to take to shoot in an unpredictable outdoor environment, and lots more. I saw the film at Sundance. Congratulations, it's beautiful. Uh, and so happy that a wide audience will get to see it now. Congratulations. Thank you so much. Thank you. Um, I would like to talk about your adaptation process, but we may skip to that later, um, especially if, if Deborah, you have to duck out. So I'm going to jump right into casting. Um, and this is really for everyone, but Deborah, you are known for finding and, and helping to nurture young talent that you know has, a, has really special qualities. And I think that's true this time for sure. Uh, so, so the first question is just what is your kind of general casting process? And again, anyone, feel free to jump in. Right, because the casting is very communal. You know, we're all looking at the auditions. We're um, in auditions together at times, you know. And so um, I think what is usually at play is, is the sort of vastness of the role, right? So that we it was not lost on anyone that, that, that the role for a teen woman in this film was going to be rich. You know, it was going to be something where she was going to be able to demonstrate so many sides of herself, how she relates to authority, how she relates to someone very close to her, what, how she, what she observes, how she does it. And um, so it would be what she says, what we see her seeing, what then we see back reflected on her. Um, and that there would also be a lot of physicality to this role, which is also extremely rich when especially when you're applying that to a female right because she's out there traipsing she's moving she's strong she's um she's got the gear she knows how to you know use this knife and and she has this prowess this and so we i think felt excited that whoever we were going to cast was going to have a very meaty really uh, what's it called you know very filled sandwich or whatever you (laughs) know what the metaphor is but you know just something to chew on for real and and so I think uh, maybe then the next kind of um, interesting criteria is sort of assessing or vibing off of willingness, right? And I think uh, I think all of us could see that the audition was strong from Thomason. And I think what the subsequent uh, incoming intel that was 
was affirming and, and exciting to us was the Skype conversations that followed the audition was where the willingness was manifest, where she would let us know that she had not just read the script or just the sides, or, you know, but that she had read the book and that she was already traipsing around what she called, you know, the bush, which is the scrub in the, in the sort of wildlands around where she lives. Right, because she's originally from New Zealand. Yeah, but not originally. Currently, I mean, she's, oh. she is a New Zealand, full, full, full-fledged Kiwi. Um, so the, when I hear those kinds of uh, ideas being expressed by a young actor, I, you know, I'm, I'm happy to run to the team and say, Tom is uh, she's generous. She's open-hearted. I love what she said. She she she. Just, and then, lo and behold, a couple of days later, after a discussion about some other scenes, you know, almost like a just a discussion of things that she did these improvs based on these ideas that, that we had discussed. So I was like, okay, there's no motivation problem here, or there's no you know there's no sort of um, jaded ah maybe you know <laughs> it's much more like. I would love to be a part of this. Let me show you in which ways I, I'm already kind of on board. Mm-hmm. That's really interesting. I love this concept of willingness beyond just the skill. Are, are there any things that you have done or you as a team have done to sort of get someone to demonstrate willingness, like kind of almost like a test you've mm-hmm. put folks through? You, I, 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 I don't know what day it was recently. I was thinking you can't, you can't demand anything. People have to want to give it. You know, and um, and that especially uh, the more experienced an actor is, boy, does that play out, you know, um, because they're they're feeling their own set of um, inspirations and and things that they're um, you know, ideas and thoughts and feelings that they're churning up to to bring to the role. So they're going to give that uh, with a younger actor, however. Um, I would say you, there are, it's not tested, but it's like that you can float ideas and the, and the receptive young actor will build on them. Mm. Right. I mean, I think in the um, casting process for Tom, you know, to get to the next round beyond that first um, process where she sends a, an audition, you had her do an improv to see what it was like to actually work with her, to give her an idea and see what she walks away with and brings back to the table. So... And then in in this particular role, I mean, she plays the counterpart to her dad, uh, of course. Will is the character's name, and um, so he had to be carefully cast. I mean, these two carry the whole film. Do you have a different casting process or approach for for older, more experienced actors than younger? Is it all the same? You know, the the father was 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 so hard to cast um, because. For a variety of reasons, but I, I would think uh, I think one of them is that it would take someone who actually wanted to spend the time doing something like skills training or some kind of immersion, you know. So this is this would not be suited for someone who really needs this, their time on set to be the smallest amount possible, right? And that um, you know no extra thing could be asked of them. And I think uh, through a conversation with Ben that was made feasible by you know his interest, his initial interest in the script, which, you know, he was so uh, communicative about last night, and um, that the conversation could happen, and then he he definitely said, oh, no, that's the way I like to work. I do like to work. I like to work with immersion. I like to be trained. I, I like to be exposed to the ingredients and the textures that will be accurate for my, my character. 
And then we knew as, as a team that he'd also, prior to this, done a lot of personal research into lives of soldiers and um, what it means, you know, what, what someone might be left with after combat experience. And, uh, and that had dated back now several films for him. So he's bringing an endowment. He's already bringing, you know, I want to say, you know, emotional capital and, and, and backstory to this film that that's, that's already an, that's an asset that he's bringing just right out of the gate. So he hadn't necessarily engaged in combat himself, but he'd played roles where he also had to dig into those same kind of emotions. That's interesting. And, and, and be informed by, by he'd spent a lot of time speaking to soldiers in previous film trainings and, and um, yeah, so he, and reading, he re, he's a reader and he, he reads a lot of anecdotal and firsthand material. So then you find these two and you're really having positive feelings about them and you know they have the skill and maybe the willingness. Again, I love that word. Um, but then how do you know two these two folks can carry your whole film? I mean, we see them, I don't know, the percentage, 90% of the time, more maybe? You don't know that. Yeah, I don't think until, I think, again, that goes to the willingness. I think Tom, I think Will wanted to connect with Tom. I think he... he he wasn't a father at the time in real life. I think he was really intrigued with the idea of, of fatherhood and what it might be to have a teenage daughter. But Tom's openness, it's sort of like if you can't connect with Tom, you can't connect with people because she's just so open and, mm-hmm. and warm. And I think that just opened the door for him to to find that like piece of being a father. So I feel like they... They did that themselves just out of being open. But you, as Deborah said, you never know until you get on set. Yeah. But right before in rehearsals, they did, they, they did work together. They did survival training work together. And, um, you know, there was a sense of, of bonding between them that developed just learning these things together. Natural, real bonding. Yes, yes, mm-hmm. yes. Right. Um, were there were there other things that you did to to foster a relationship between them early on a real relationship? Well, I know it's um, been noted that Tom brought Tom and I guess through Miranda through her mother brought over a um, Maori greeting practice or a, a little a small ritual that could be performed uh, before scenes and um, when they met at, and throughout the filming process, which was to have this close contact by putting your putting foreheads together. And that um, I think maybe at first Ben found it strange or, you know, he wasn't sure what, because he didn't have the backstory for that, you know, until it was, it was able to be given. But but I think it started to really work for them. And um, I think this, and, and they practiced it. And, and it, you know, that was not something that the crew saw too often. That was something that they had worked into some of their rehearsals. And, um, and I think another, um, another wonderful moment came when the skills um, trainer, Nicole, had talked about that they would have a lot of ways of communicating, you know, that if they're trying to be undetected, they wouldn't yell for each other in the woods. You know, they wouldn't just be hollering at each other and, you know, using loud voice, but they would have uh, ways. And I, I think they liked cultivating that. So there were challenges in this role. There were things to grow into. There were things to accrue. And I think both of them liked that. That um, there was sort of a growth curve in the in the actual embody, you know, walking in the in the shoes of these characters involved learning. 
And it gets back to that willingness piece again and again. They had to be sort of down for that. Now, for folks who haven't seen the film, Nicole is not a character. She's someone you brought on to to develop their like wilderness skills. Exactly. So she tell was. us tell us about that process. Well, I mean, we brought her. We we in the script phase uh, or stage had um, connected with somebody from Missouri who we'd we'd run into from our. Um, previous film Winter's Bone, but we also knew that the Pacific Northwest held very specific different challenges with the wet and the different foliage. And so how somebody might use those skills in the Midwest, we knew would be very different, or we assumed would be very different in the Pacific Northwest. And so he, he, this wilderness or this survival um, skills instructor um, connected us with Nicole Appellian, which we thought it was so cool because we had not really come across many women in this field. And so we originally met her in sort of a deep dive research trip we took during the script stage. And she really helped us flesh out some of those scenes. But then, of course, when we hit the ground for pre-production and knew that the actors were going to come in, they, you know, she ended up being a very rich resource for them um, on the ground those first few days. And even on the level of appropriate props and things they would need to have in their campsite. and um, Wardrobe. Wardrobe yeah. and uh, w- water, you know, the question of water and, and how it would be um, obtained, whether in their initial site and then later when there's no apparent source for it. Really, they were, they were real skill sets, and she imparted them, and then they practiced them, and she gave feedback, and, and they... Many of them made it into this into the final film, really, because they were utterly relevant and they were visual and filmable. And I would just say that there's, again, like the concept of willingness. So it's like she interfaced with the wardrobe department. They had to be sort of open to learning, you know, what 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 kind of layers or what kind of fabrics, you know, might be worn. Same with the production design team had to be really open and excited by this. And so I do think it's like it it, it exp- you know, it, it's an it exemplifies the kind of willingness from the whole crew to learn and be open to an outsider who doesn't necessarily know film at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes her ideals were, you know, too strict. We couldn't, you know, uh, adhere to them. But that that there would be a com- always a conversation, not like, oh, I know how to make this happen, you know, but really a willingness to learn from someone who really does know what it might look like. It struck me too that as the folks who adapted the screenplay and who you know is are is directing the film and with your DP, it sounds like there were a lot of kind of last minute changes or things to make it feel more authentic. So how did you let yourself yourselves kind of be open to that change when you were almost ready to shoot? We all know that is it, it is that's very difficult. It, it's you know and um, you toss and turn because something might strike you. I mean, you're pretty deranged when you make a film. <laughs> there's no, there's no two ways about that. That's the truth. Um, the, just the simultaneity of the amount of questions that need to be answered and the amount of um, solutions that need to be found. Basically, there, there, there probably aren't too many human brains that can, you know, even a team of brains. You know, because we, we had a, a team of brains, and you know, there's just a, there's a couple days in filmmaking where they're just, you know. You, you, not everything can be addressed, you know, um, but on on changes as 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 you as you roll, basically, a lot of th- there can be a lot of fallout from that. You know, a lot of departments can be affected. There's it's a ripple effect, and yet sometimes the changes seem so worthwhile or so indispensable that you you that's where the mani- the image of the maniac director comes from, right? Like, 
you, you know, you, you, you check yourself at night, you know, like, am I just doing this on a whim? Is this, is this an indulgence or, or do I believe in the core of my being that, you know, the scene would be better if we did this or, you know, um, and so, and I think, um, only a fraction of those changes can actually be enacted, um, and hopefully, you know, the the hope is that they would happen at the rehearsal level, mm-hmm. because then you can actually proceed. It doesn't have to be maniacal. It could be, it could be more that you re-meet and you or you you're able to go up to the production designer and and really just say, you know, this looks so great in the rehearsal. Do you think we could change it to this? Or you know, could the tent now be on the other side of the campsite because it actually works better? Da da da. You know, um, those are the changes that, with just even a day, you can kind of. You know, not not the day of, but the day before. You know? um, and that's yeah. what I well, that's what I would say about like independent filmmaking or you know no school no film school filmmaking is like, you know, and we've experienced this as like you may not have money, but you do have time, mm-hmm. and that time, you know, pre production and pre pre production and pre 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 production, that is so that's such incredibly valuable time, and it's it's funnily enough not something we had enough of. I mean, I on this film to some to some extent. So, um, I mean, compared to what we've you know you know as we're waiting around for years and years to get something financed, we have all the time in the world to develop and have everything nailed. Well, this film got financed really quickly, and we hit the ground running, and we sort of had to work in a way that we hadn't worked before, but. You know, in the past, and I'd say for anyone that's you know on their own dime and, and using their own time, it's like that is your friend to develop, mm. to develop, mm-hmm. um, and prepare yourself. But I, I would just add that there, there's lots of different kinds of filmmaking, and some filmmakers I've worked with really do get everything nailed down in you know by pre-production, and you're shooting the scenes that were written. And this was a much more constantly organic, both in the writing process and in the shooting process and in the editing process. So at each stage of the way, different things made themselves evident, whether it's Michael McDonough, the DP, seeing this amazing shot, and suddenly things just shifted around, or something that one of the actors brought, like the feather sticking, mm-hmm. which where they where they learned they they're creating the little feather sticks to start their fires. That was something that came out of the survival training, and then became quite a large piece of a scene that was not even I think written. I don't think so. Anyway, so things just kept developing because of opportunities that were being placed in front of the filmmakers, and Deborah's, you know, very elastic that way um, and open. Um, and we as producers, of course, were like trying to catch up and go, wait, where are you going now? You know? Right. But, but that's, that's what every, I remember, um, you know, I remember a filmmaker years ago that it, 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 that is the homage to producers because, uh, you know, they're looking at, uh, they, they know the story as well as the director, you know, because they, they've they formed it with the director. And then, you know, they try to learn, like, you know, wh- when is it a number 10 need? And when is it like, oh, it would be nice, you know? And and then, but when it's a 10, then they, then they you know, the director's doing other things and, and they are making that happen. They are finding a way. They are consulting. They are... They are asking, finding, seeking, rearranging, renegotiating something. And, you know, even if it's the extension on someone's time, right? Meaning that when to ask for an extension on Tom's day, you know, like knowing, like just saying this, 
if this was the if if I had to ask one day or whatever, or they could see it for themselves from being there on set, you know, if this is the if there's one day that we need to go over on her hours, this is it, you know, uh, and then them making that possible because she's a teenager and she's she has a, restrictions. Yeah, she had restrictions on her, and they're very very strict. So you, we really had to comply and figure out how to how to make that time work. Mm. Um, and I know if if it turns out that um, you know we we need twenty teenagers, you know, and twenty rabbits, you know, <laughs> like how to how to you know garner the resources to ra- you know kind of wrangle that and, right. and and you know how to, how to, how to deploy things among the other crew members that so that certain things that. You don't set out the film knowing how they're going to work, and then on the ground you have to piece them together. So um, there's a lot of like really rapid response. Yes, and that's hilarious. I mean, I think you know if producers just kept notebooks of all the weird things they were asked for over the years, it would be a very funny book, like Twenty Teenagers and Twenty Rabbits. So we don't have much more time. But it's funny, Anne, that you use the word organic. I feel like there's this whole theme here. I mean, the, you know, this is an organic sort of process it sounds like and also we're we're in the woods and when I think about adaptability that was actually the bulk of my questions had to do with the shoot itself because Mm -hmm. I imagine you had to adapt to weather conditions and you know you're in a live environment so can you um talk a little bit about some of the challenge with challenges with the actual shoot in the woods and how you how you worked that Mm. well I think we I, I don't know. I think we, you know, we've never really talked amongst ourselves post filming. You know, I, I, I hope it's not just a Pollyanna response. I feel like it was, you know, that it was a, a forest that just kept on giving. Mm. It kept on giving. It gave gray slate sky and, and eerie lighting. It gave sunlight. It gave sunlight on raindrops and spider webs. It gave wet leaves. It gave reflective surfaces. I mean, in terms of uh, playland for for photography, for cinematography, for what pleasure can be uh, captured through lenses. This was, you know, how do you ask the natural world to, you know, <laughs> ever please you more? You mm-hmm. know? And so, and yeah, so then then people say, oh, what, what about the rain? What about the Pacific Northwest? What about that gnarly aspect? But without rain, you don't have reflective surfaces, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and if your crew knows how to gear up and they can instruct you, I felt we were mostly very pleased and happy. You know, I, the inclemency, you know, had it been colder, had it been considerably colder, we would have been facing a very different situation. People's wetness would have yielded something else and it would have been much more uncomfortable and I think people would have felt the time and there would have been much more disgruntlement and, and frustration with, uh, the, with that discomfort and it would compromise things. So, um, but, you know, we, we also made our shoot commensurate. We weren't attempting to uh, come in with a, a, a big caravan with enormous lighting setups. We, you know, the, One of the things that the DP completely was going to make his hallmark for this film was using natural light. So that means we, you know, we're, we're, we're seeing wonderful, excellent grips, but th- what they're doing is they're using B-boards and small reflective surfaces and and they're creating you know cucoloris from branches that are nearby and and they're maneuvering and and uh they love the woods they know it they're Oregon they're an Oregon based crew um so I would say 
you know, I don't know what I'm missing. I don't know if I'm, if I'm, I'm, I'm smoothing over something. No, on the I mean, I was just going to add that, you know, we had a lot of people when we were in pre-production saying, like the bond company saying, you know, you got, it rains all the time there. And Deborah and Ann kept saying, well, we shoot in the rain and we're trying to, you know, figure that out. Is it really able to be done? And what I learned is it is. If you have a really adaptive crew who's, yes, properly clothed and knows how to cover where you need to cover and keep the noise down where you can keep the noise down, you can do it. And more than I ever believed you could. So it was, that was something I really learned that I did not know. On a related note, I was wondering how you sort of kept a minimal footprint. You know, now I know you didn't have tons of light and the sort of maybe normal huge setup, but I imagine in order to get permission to shoot in the park, you had to also agree you're not going to stomp all over everything and harm the environment. Were there things that your crew did to, to ensure that? It's really an interesting question because the ferns do get stomped on, and they get stomped on uh, on television shows that are filmed in um, Portland. And what was the super long-running one that was always in the forest? Um, Grim? Grim, thing. yes, yes. <laughs> Thank you. It's a, yeah. it's a uh, guilty pleasure show I watch. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. and so... And so, but what we learned from the ranger and then from the greensman and that, that, um, and Nicole would, you know, confirm this, that the firms can be repatriated really well. You know, they can be, uh, that ferns that are not hurt can be put back into the sites where you have harmed them because there was harm to ferns. There's no doubt about that. Um, and so, you know, there was a way that there had been precedent for filming to take place and then to restore the site to being quite intact and you know as we left you know Victor assured us Victor the ranger assured us he said in a short time you won't you will not see where you filmed there will be no trace you know that uh and that was that was uh that was heartening and and um you know we didn't have a whole lot of generators right we didn't we just we we weren't a I don't know I think our carbon footprint was pretty mellow on this shoot (laughs) I mean, I don't, I don't mean that so self-congratulatory. We had trucks and, you know, so, you know, but the fact is it's, this, this film could be shot in a pretty modest way. So for our listeners' benefit, I will mention that Deborah is hot on the, uh, you know, promotion trail. She just walked out to go do, I think, an interview at WNYC. So she's, she's continuing on the audio tip. And I'm still here with Anne and Anne. And um, and I have another question. And, and actually, it's interesting that Deborah stepped out because I'm curious about your take on this. It sounds like from every step of the process, Deborah and you fostered this environment of, you know, a, adaptiveness, willingness to change, um, you know, an organic approach. What were some of the things you did to ensure that everybody that was involved could, you know, like maximize their flexibility? We kind of set out with our first AD to set his expectations that there will be improv, there will be, you know, growth in scenes, there will be, um, that we wanted to stay nimble and, and flexible. And so I feel like we tried really hard to hire a crew that could sort of get behind that. Um, but there's that in theory and then there's that in practice, right? And so, you know... I guess all you can really do on set when you're working at such like a breakneck speed is try to keep communications flowing um, and really try to interface directly with the departments that you're working with to to convey, you know, the meaning behind some of the changes so they don't feel that they're just 
for no good reason. And, you know, I've always said this, um, you know, this is my third film with Deborah. It's like, you know, scenes with non-professionals, scenes with unexpected components, scenes with consultants involved. Those are always the most difficult scenes to shoot, but they're also kind of the, a lot of times the best scenes that, you know, they're, they're sort of what make Deborah's filmmaking style. So it's like, is you know the inconvenience of sort of the some of the best scenes being the hardest to produce, but like I know from experience that they're sort of they're worth it, you know. Um, so you know, there's no tidy, easy way to answer that question. Um, emotions run high on set; people are tired, and and all of that. I, I think what it is is to convey that 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 as a team, you're not you're not doing this for no good reason. You're doing it because you truly think it's best for the film and you're trying to, from the get-go, hire and work with a crew that, you know, at least in spirit coming on board, feels that, you know, can feels like they can get behind that. I think that's what I was just going to add, that, you know, just that, that they, um, you know, there are always going to be moments where there were there had to be reality checks, you know, along the way where the AD was you know, had an issue or the DP had an issue or anybody's going to have issues because I don't think you you can hire people with that expectation that Ann just described and we did, absolutely. But every once in a while you just get, you get behind or you get, and how are you going to catch up because you have a finite number of days. So there became moments where we all sat down and said, okay, now how are we going to tackle this because we shot a lot here, how are we going to catch up um, and that kind of thing. So there was, you know, I don't, I don't think it's, worthy to sugarcoat it. You don't want to do that. You want to say that, as Anne said, everybody came on with the right spirit, and so we knew we'd find a solution, but they had to be found at junctures along the way. Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So last question, because I know I've kept you over time, too. Um, Again, we speak to aspiring and early career filmmakers, I would say, majority. Um, And so I'm curious... uh, and R, you've worked with with Deborah over the years. Anne H, was this your first project with no. Deborah? Oh yes, with Deborah. Yes, yeah. absolutely. Oh, I wouldn't have yeah, assumed yeah. it was your first project. <laughs> um, so I'm curious what you have learned about filmmaking from uh, from Deborah. I, I mean, Deborah and I work sort of exclusively together, so I've learned everything I know about filmmaking through Deborah and with Deborah, and from the very first film we made for two hundred thousand dollars. Um, you know, in upstate New York, where we literally did everything. We cast, we did locations, you know, it was just our own sweat equity that made that film. And I think that, I think what we've learned after 15 years is that's still a way we like to work because, you know, again, back to this idea of organic, we like to feel that we've done the groundwork and we know what film we're making when we bring crew on board. And so I feel like, you know, our comfort level is to sort of, you know, be a part of, of every process and, and really build the blocks, you know, with as, you know, much time as, 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 you know, reality allows. And so, you know, I don't really know any other way of filmmaking. And, um, for us, it's, it's, it is just sort of the way it's done, you know, or, or the way that we work and feel comfortable working, you know. So what I would say as somebody who's worked with all sorts of different kinds of filmmakers, that Deborah is an absolutely unique kind of a filmmaker. Mm. And um, I've never worked with anybody like her, um, both in terms of her extraordinary talent, but also the way Anne just described of, of, of going about a movie. So for me, what I learned was 
you know, the process for me in a lot of ways was like a psychological one, trying to understand how does that process work and, and what's going on between Anne and Deborah that they're thinking of doing this and it seems so, sometimes it seems so chaotic and then other times you start to see what the logic was. So for me it was like trying to understand it and, and stay on top of that in a way that would help me to, you know, do what I needed to do, which was to keep the money going and the, you know, f- well, also help with the creative side of things. But um, but so I, I feel like... Um, um, it, it, a lot of it is psychology for me. It was like sort of trying to get to the root of of w- how they were doing it and and wh- why it was going to be important. Like rabbits, for example, they wanted those rabbits in the movie, <laughs> and I'm like, well, why? <laughs> you know, what is that doing for us? And yet, that scene was beautiful and amazing and all of the they cast a lot of non-actors which I've never done before and that's a whole nother process and that also became difficult and yet you begin to see what comes out of those actors once you start seeing the performances and then you get it and then it becomes easier to go yeah let's go there wow this has been so enlightening and again congratulations on the film I'm really excited to see what happens next I think people are really going to respond well Thank Thank you. Thank you so much. (laughs) Thanks for listening. Leave No Trace is currently rolling out in theaters across the United States. If you liked this conversation, come back for a new conversation every Monday. And on Thursdays, don't miss our Indie Film Weekly News Show that fills you in on everything you might have missed when you were busy making films. You can get any of these by searching for the No Film School podcast in iTunes or your favorite app. Also be sure to visit nofilmschool.com for useful new filmmaking articles every single day. Meanwhile, stay in touch. You can reach me on Twitter at LizFilm, and we are on Twitter at NoFilmSchool. See you on Thursday.